here so I can say this. The reason I'm doing this is Phil worked it out. He told me that you're going to teach class. And I said, well, they said they didn't want me to teach class. You're going to teach class. And I said, well, go see John God. Here I am. Okay, if you got your Bible, open it to 2 Timothy. You know, in these summer series where congregations have a guy come in and, and speak for just a Wednesday night and they have all kinds of... Sometimes they have a theme, sometimes they don't have a theme. And uh, if I were to be called right now, on the spur of the moment like I was here, to teach one of my favorite lessons, this would be it. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 4. I like to start this lesson by saying, we're going to look at one of those Passover passages. You know, you're studying verse by verse through the Bible, and you come to certain passages, you just pass over them, go on to the next one. And generally those are the passages at the end of a letter, you know, where all these people are mentioned and everything, and no great doctrine is taught. And we just kind of pass over them and go on to the next. But we do that, unfortunately, to our own uh, to our own detriment. In Second Timothy chapter four, Paul has some things to say that if I were to want to, to say what's the point of this lesson, it's this. He teaches us here how people are going to treat you, okay, and how we ought to react to how people treat you. But before we read this passage. Let's give a little background to what I call Paul's valedictory. Now, those of you who have graduated, you know, he was always the valedictorian, got up and said some words. And I didn't know what that word meant until about, you know, this thing, this thing on, on, uh, on Facebook says, I was this year's old when I learned this. Well, I was about 60 years old when I learned this. The word valedictory means the last thing. And, you know, it's never the last thing in a graduation. There's always more stuff after it. But Paul's valedictory. Why do I say that? Well, let's look at some background here. Paul was converted, as best we know, at age 35 in A.D. 35, which meant he was about two years older than Jesus. And uh, he was baptized two years after the events of Calvary. Paul writes this letter in A.D. 67. So that's about 40 years, okay, A.D. 67. He writes it during what we call the second Roman imprisonment. What happened after the book of Acts closes? What time do we need to quit? If I don't hear something, I'm going to keep going until I'm done. 11.25. <laughs> okay. You know, I used to tell people, how long do you preach? I used to preach until I get on and I quit. But uh, we do have a time, 11.25. Okay. Paul wrote this during his second Roman imprisonment. When the book of Acts closes, what happened to Paul? Well, the book of Acts closes with Paul in his own hired house in Rome. A little background information before that. You remember that Paul comes to Jerusalem. He's accused of uh, defiling the temple by taking Greeks in there. And they descend on him, the Jews descend on him to kill him. And the Roman garrison comes out of the Tower of Antonio that's built right next door to the temple and basically saves Paul's life and takes him into protective custody. And then because there was a plot 
discovered by John Mark that they were going to kill, you know, some people swore that they were not going to eat or drink until they killed Paul. So they take Paul into protective custody and haul him off to Caesarea where he, where he languishes for two years in the prison. He appeals to Caesar after those three, Festus, Felix, and Agrippa, talk to him. And so he goes to Rome. He stays there for a good while, and during that time he writes some of the letters, but he's released as far as we know. That's the book of Acts closes. He's in Rome, and he writes the prison epistles, as we call them. He's released, and he makes some more journeys. Uh, Tradition tells us, and Paul indicates in the book of Romans that he wanted to do this, that he goes as far to the west as Rome, I mean to Spain, and then comes back. Maybe he went to Jerusalem. I don't know. The scholars deal with all this, but he comes back to Rome and he stays there about two more years. And at the end of that two year period, they put Paul to death. But as best we know, one of the things he wrote while he was there is second Timothy. And as best we know, this was the last thing that Paul wrote. These are the last words that Paul by inspiration. Uh, let's see how, how I say that, say that poetically. This is the last time that Paul dipped his quill into the ink of inspiration and penned these words for us. Okay? This is Paul's valedictory. Now, if what I said a while ago is true, if he wrote this in A.D. 67, converted around A.D. 35, we accept then that Paul is now past the age of 60. Now, I used to think that was ancient. Some of you probably did as well. But some of you are like me, many more gray hairs. You've seen a lot of water pass under the bridge. You know that 60 is not old. And uh, some of us are past that three score and 10 and pushing that four score by reason of strength. But 60 years old in that time was ancient. People lived to be 35, 45 years old. That was That was it. And so if you got to be 60 back in that day, you were ancient. Paul was old. What had happened between the time that he was baptized and the time he wrote this epistle? Well, there were three missionary journeys. And when I first obeyed the gospel and started reading the Bible and read the book of Acts, I thought Paul went on these trips, bang, 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 just like we would, you know, three weeks apiece and he's back home. No. (laughs) It took him years to make these journeys. Years. Many hundreds of miles, thousands of miles, you know, get your GPS out sometimes and and pay, uh, ask it how far is it from Antioch, Pisidia, to Rome and back. And you'll find out it was a long trip. And how did he do that? How did Paul travel? I'll let y'all answer that. By ship and walking. We have Paul, we have no information that Paul ever traveled any other way than by ship or walking. Couldn't call Uber, you know, couldn't call, what, what's the other one? Drift, you couldn't, couldn't call any of those. Couldn't catch a bus. He walked. So he made 3,000, multiple, multiple thousand mile trips. Those trips were not uneventful. Who can tell me some of the things that happened to Paul on those trips? Ship, a shipwreck. Wait, 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 back up. A shipwreck, that's a question. No, multiple shipwrecks. A night and a day in the deep, he said. What else? Somebody else said something. Stoned? Stoned? That doesn't mean he was high on drugs. What does it mean he was stoned? 
Rocks, not, not rock, not rocks. Stones. Baseball sized stones. What, what, what's the point of that? What were they trying to do? Kill him. That was a method of execution by the Jews. That's how the Jews executed people. You know, today we are all concerned about when somebody's has decided he's going to be executed by the state. We all, you know, we're all humane. Don't let them use a dirty needle. <laughs> they didn't care. Threw them rocks at them. And now you have to understand, they threw these rocks at them until they were knocked out and beaten into a bloody pulp. What else happened to him? Whipped. Beaten with rods. Bitten by a snake. I'd forgotten about that. A poisonous snake. Earthquakes. In prison, often. In deaths, often. In chains, often. All of this is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and 28, which was written... In AD 56, four years or so before he wrote, or ten years or so before he wrote Second Timothy. Now, all of those experiences go together to make Paul who and what he was. No doubt as he traveled, he met a lot of people. We know that, reading the book of Acts. You know, there's, there's uh, Timothy, and there's Titus, and there's uh, Barnabas, and... All of these folks that he met in his right, and, and many of them are mentioned in those Passover passages. Uh, people like Tacitus and uh, Archippus and people like that. Those those are household names, right? No, no, no. We know Barnabas. We know Timothy. We know Titus. Tychicus. We don't know who that is. But anyway, he met and uh, with a lot of people. And no doubt as he traveled and strived to, strove to serve the Lord, he crossed paths with lots of people to whom, from whom no doubt he learned many things. Uh, you know, I'm sure all of us in this room, most of us in this room anyway, would agree with the statement, you know, there was a time when I thought I was really smart. And the older I got, or older I, yeah, the older I got or the older I get, I realized how dumb I really was. Somebody posted on Facebook the other day that says, I am now old and wise because God protected me when I was young and foolish. We, we think we're smart, but we're not smart. And we learn things from people that we meet. That happened to Paul. Paul met a lot of people. Some of what he learned from those people was good. Some of what he learned from those people was bad. And that brings us to 2 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul, an old man with rich experience in service to God's kingdom, tells us something about people. People that you will meet, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey. He tells us something about people that you will meet and people that you will strive to work with in God's kingdom and how they will treat you. All right, comment or question on any of that. That's all introductory. Now we come to 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning with 
verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. What does that mean? He's about to die. And, you know, as we said a while ago, he knew he was not, he was not going to die, you know, laying at home in the bed with all his loved ones around him. This is not going to be good. He makes this statement, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let me stop there and take an excursus. Those who remember when I was here, you know what an excursus is. That's where you chase a rabbit. Preachers develop pet peeves. One of my pet peeves is when artists depict the crown that Christians are going to wear as a crown, a golden crown, bejeweled with jewels and all that kind of stuff. No, that's not it at all. There are two words translated crown from the Greek. One is diademos. That's the crown of authority, that golden crown with all the jewels and everything. That's the crown the emperor would wear. There's another word, Stephanos. You ought to rec- recognize somebody's name from that. Stephanos? Stephen? Yeah. That's the transliteration of that Greek word. Now, in the Olympics today, what do you get if you win the gold medal? When you win, when you, win you get the gold medal, right? Well, back in the original Olympics, you know what you got? You got a Stephanos. A little reef of leaves and sticks. <laughs> It was not a crown of authority. What did that what did that Stefano signify? I won the victory. The, and that's what it says here. The Stephanos, the crown of righteousness, the sign of victory. Tie that together with what it says in the book of Revelation. Um hopefully everybody's got on dress shoes. I don't wear dress shoes anymore because my feet won't let me, but Somebody may have on some shoes with a swoosh on it. What does that swoosh? What does that mean? Yeah, that's Nike. That's an icon, Nike. For a long time, I thought that word came from Japanese. It doesn't. Anybody know where that word's found? Many times in the Bible, translated victory or overcome in the book of Revelation. He who overcomes receives the crown of life. He who, over, he who wins the victory is going to get that Stephanos. Okay. No extra charge for that. Verse 9. Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed for Thessalonica, Cretans for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. He is useful to me for ministry in Tychicus. There's that guy I mentioned a minute ago. I was sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus. There's another household name at Troas when you come. And the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly greatly resisted our words. At my defense, at my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. Now, in this passage, there are several people mentioned. We can categorize them. Number one, some people will come into your life 
and be faithful friend to you right up to the very end. For Paul, there are really two mentioned in this passage. One mentioned only implied, and that's Timothy. The other is Luke. Only Luke is with me. In the book of Acts, well, let me back up and say it this way. Who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. Was Luke ever with Paul as he's traveling around? Yes. How do we know that? Huh? Luke tells us. How does Luke tell us that? We, we. One of the things I, I try to impress on our students at the School of Preaching is pay attention to the little words. Sometimes the little, little words are as important as the big words. In the book of Acts, Paul, I mean Luke, writes in the third person. They, 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 them, 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 them. But periodically he changes to the first person plural. We, we, we. What does that mean? Luke's with him. The we passages tell us a lot. Did you know that one of the we passages, it describes that fateful journey to Rome? And the book of Acts closes with a we passage. Luke was with Paul all through that that horrible trip to Rome and on until he wrote this book. Only Luke is with me. The other one that came into Paul's life and stuck with him all the way is Timothy. Timothy was Paul's right-hand man. Whenever a big job came up, Paul sent Timothy. Many of the letters, you know, back then, uh, you didn't put a stamp on a, on a letter and drop it in a mailbox. That's getting old. I've got to get some new illustrations. You didn't get on a computer and type out an email and send it off. Back then, you had to make arrangements to get your letters to wherever it was going. And Paul sent Timothy with those letters many times to the churches that were most troubled. As best we know, Paul took, uh, Timothy took both the first and second Corinthian letter to the church. Timothy was Paul's right hand man. One of the most amazing things is what Paul says about Timothy in Philippians 2, verses 19 and 21. Let's turn and read that. Philippians 2, 19 to 21. Philippians now was one of those prison epistles written during that first Roman imprisonment we mentioned a minute ago. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Paul's in prison again, or the first time. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Christ Jesus. I have no one like-minded. Did some research on that word once upon a time. The New American Standard says kindred spirit. One commentator said that Timothy was Paul's other self. That's what he means by that word. In my work, I've had some people that, you know, I've known for for years and years. And right now, they're, they're right there. 
uh, in ministry. Um, one young man, and I say young because he's about 12 years younger than I am, and I first met him. We met, went to Columbia in 1986. I was 36. He was in mid-20s, late-20s. And we formed an attachment, and we worked together at camp. We worked together on campaigns. We ate breakfast together a lot. He was my, he was like-minded. And uh, we thought alike. We, we, it was great to have that guy with me. Our association has been uh, severed somewhat because by distance and time, I moved away, he moved away, and we just don't see each other like we used to. But I guarantee you that if I were to call on him today, he'd be there, right there. I have no other, I've had a lot of people, I've been blessed to have a lot of people like that. So the first category is people that come into your life and they stay to the very end, through thick and thin, good times and bad. That's, that's Luke and that's Timothy. And if you had a few people like that in your life, you are richly blessed. Second category that we're, we see here in 2 Timothy are people that will come into your life for a little while and then leave. Such was Demas, verse 10. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Cretans for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Demas is singled out as leaving because he loved this present world. Now, Demas is mentioned positively in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 14. Another one of those prison epistles written in the first Roman imprisonment some few years before. He's also mentioned in Philemon verse 24, both of which were written about six years before. The reason he left is stated. He loved this present world. Those of you that have been in the church for a while... We, and been attending Lehman Avenue for a while, you could look around in this, in this room and you could see, yeah, used to sit right over there. Well, what happened? Well, he got to run with the wrong crowd. You know, we tried to go talk to him. He's lost to the cause. Yeah, and this family over here, they got to fussing with each other. They left the church, tried to come back, but the children, no, they're, they're gone. We could go around this room and in your mind's eye think of dozens of people like that. Or somebody was baptized, and man, they came up out of that water, if this isn't a mixed metaphor, came up out of that water on fire for the Lord <laughs> for a little while. And then they're gone. You go try to find him. Go try to talk to him. No good. They just can't break that attachment and that love with the world. Demas has forsaken me. People will come into your life and, oh, it'll be great, wonderful. Well, this, this is oh, this best friend I ever had. And the next thing you know, he's gone. Simply because they loved something else more. And, you know, when that happens, it breaks our heart. It breaks our heart. Um, 
before I came to Lehman, and y'all, y'all all know that I've been very involved with camp all my preaching life, and I don't know how many young people I saw come through camp and going on campaigns, held so much promise, and they just can't break that love affair with the world. So you got people will come into your life, be like Timothy, be like Luke, and stay till the very end. Then you got people that'll come into your life and you'll think, man, this this is oh, this is going to be a great friend, and they stay a while, or they come into the church and they stay a while, and then because they love that, you know, the fellowship is broken. Then thirdly, there are those that will come into your life, stay a little while, leave, and thankfully will come back. Such was John Mark. Look at verse 11. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Where else do we find John Mark? Acts, okay. What does Acts tell us about John Mark? Okay, he went on the first missionary return journey. And he turned back on the second one. Well, you, well, you're getting too ahead, far ahead of me here. Why did he turn back? We don't know. We'll take an excursus here. You know, there's some things we will talk about until we're blue in the face in Bible class. And the answer is, we don't know. Neither does anybody else. And it really doesn't matter. For example, why did Nicodemus come to Jesus by night? I don't know. You don't know. Nobody else knows. And it doesn't matter. So why talk about it? We'll spend 30 minutes in the Bible class talking about why Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. We'll spend 30 minutes or longer talking about why Mark went back. We don't know. You don't know. I don't know. Now this time it does matter, but we don't know. But some years later, some years later, when they got ready to go on the second missionary tour, Paul and Barnabas had a strong contention because Paul did not want to take John Mark, but Barnabas did. That's in Acts 15, verses 36 to 41. And the text tells us that there was a strong contention. The discussion was heated. That, you know, it's not a sin to have a heated discussion with your brethren. <laughs> okay. It was a heated discussion. And the contention was so strong that Barnabas and Paul separated. Barnabas went one direction, Paul went the other. Paul took Silas and uh, who took Barnabas? Anyway, John, John, no, anyway, they split and went two different directions. All right. We don't know what happened in the intervening years between Paul and John. We see them. Having this, this, the cause, John Mark being the cause of this strong dissension at the beginning of the second missionary tour. We don't know what happened in the intervening 15 years. But now Paul says, get Mark 
and bring him because he is useful to me for ministry. You think Paul would have said that 15 years earlier? No. But he does now. People will come into your life, stay for a while, be great co-workers, be great workers. They'll leave, but thankfully, they may come back. And again, in my experience, I've had a number of people that, that that's happened. What a testimony that is to the power of Christian forgiveness. That Mark, I mean, that Paul was able and willing to forgive Mark and give him another shot. So we got three categories so far. You got people will come into your life and stay with you to the very friends. Now we're talking about friends specifically now. You got people come into your life, be a great friend, stick with you to the end. You got other people, and I love to teach this to teenagers. They need to know this. People will come into your life, be great friends, and then all of a sudden they're gone. Something happens. Well, you said this about me. or But the friendship is broken. Then you've got others who come into your life, great friends. They stay a while and they leave. But thankfully, they come back. Then the fourth category is found down in verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. There are those who will actively work against you. You think they're with you, and they will actively work against you. I've had that happen. I've had somebody tell me when I moved into another town... Uh, that person was getting our church bulletins. Of course, I wrote articles in the church bulletin. And uh, I don't know who all they went to. This person sends me an email. We commenced to discuss things on in the email, and I could tell that he wasn't too happy with me. And uh, finally I asked him what his name was and got his name. And uh, I went to the... Uh, some leaders of the congregation where I was preaching and asking, you, you guys know this guy? They said, yeah. He's a disgruntled former member. So I, I didn't break and cut it off. I, I kept talking with him. And uh, before it was over with, he, well, when, when it was over with, the fellow told me, he said, in the, la- in the last email he sent me, he said, I will re- be praying that the Lord defeats your ministry in the name of the town. And he was supposed to be a brother in Christ. Believe it or not, I've been called everything from a wild-eyed liberal to a, to a pharisaical conservative. Pharisaical, what's the word? Pharisaical, anyway. There are going to be people that are going to actually work against you. That's true in the church. That's true in friendship. Every preacher, every elder, every congregation has had those who fill the role of an Alexander. And again, that breaks your heart. Comment a question on that before we bring the lesson to a close by looking a little further. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah.
We know that much about it anyway. Uh, when I was here before, I, I preached a lesson on uh, uh, collateral damage. And I made the observation, this was during, was I here then or was that before? Anyway, uh, Norman Schwarzkopf would come out and make these, that was before I came here. He would come out and make these these reports about the war in Afghanistan or whatever it was. And he would always talk about collateral damage, collateral damage. And there's a passage over in the book of uh, Judges where the Israelites fought the Philistines in a battlefield. A battlefield it was in a barley field. And a fellow preacher taught a lesson on it at camp and made me think, boy, they had fought a battle in a barley field. What do you think that barley field looked like when that got done? And he had the, he he made the point, and it's good. You're gonna have a battle in the barley field. Your barley, it, it doesn't matter where you have the battle. There's always collateral damage. Battle at home, collateral damage. Battle at school, collateral damage. Battle at the workplace, colla- battle in the church, collateral damage. We don't know what collateral damage came from that that division. But to bring this thing to a close, let's look a little further. That's how people will treat you. But you know, Paul didn't leave it there. Listen to what Paul writes in verse 17. But, when I was here before, I preached a sermon on that. You know these advertisements? Get four Jinsu knives for 19.95. But wait! <laughs> With God, there's always a but. That's the way people will treat you. But God... But God, that little word but means there's an exception here. There's an exception coming. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Notice that. The Lord stood with him. How many times in the scripture does it say, the Lord will be with you? The Lord stood with him. The Lord delivered me. When you hear that phrase, the Lord delivered me out of the mouth of the lion, what does that make you think of? What? Daniel. Well, what a story that is. I wonder if Paul wasn't thinking of that very thing when he wrote those words. Deliver me out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for the heavenly kingdom. People will mistreat you. People will treat you well. But the Lord will stand with you. The Lord will strengthen you. The Lord will deliver you. And the Lord will preserve you. He'll do that for us as he did for Paul. So that just as Paul said... I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Therefore, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Not to me only, but to all who love his appearing. Remember, doesn't matter how people treat you, but the Lord will stand with you. He will deliver you. He will strengthen you and he will preserve you. Let's close our class with a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word. 
not just those passages that we study so often, the great parables, the great uh, adventures that we read about in the Old Testament and happen to Paul, but we're thankful for those passages that, though we do not study them as much as we ought, share so much with us as this passage does about Paul and his acquaintances and his co-workers and the lessons we can learn as we go through life. We're thankful, Father, that you will stand with us, deliver us, preserve us, and strengthen us. We ask for that blessing today as we leave this place and go wherever life may take us. All of this we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.